Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today kicked off her acting career at just nine years old when she was cast as Ginny Weasley in Harry Potter. These days, she's also working behind the camera as a writer, director of short films, music videos, and commercials, as well as guiding readers to make environmentally friendly choices with her book, Go Gently. Bonnie Wright, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, thanks for joining. I want to know everything, but let's start with the <laughs> obvious. Where are you from originally? Uh, yeah, I'm from London, England. And what was that like growing up in London? I loved it. I feel like I had a lot of access to so much culture and there was never a dull moment, I feel. There was so much access to exhibitions and theatre and just like street life. I definitely always felt like I would be a city girl, but I now don't really live in much of a city, but I always love going back to London and, and miss it often. And now you're in the Los Angeles area. Do you feel like our culture matches up or are we pale in comparison? <laughs> Different, we say. Yeah, I guess I really came to, I mean, you know, obviously there's an entertainment industry in LA, which is helpful, but I really actually was drawn to LA and California generally because I've always really loved the ocean and being outdoors. That's kind of where I find most of my comfort and joy. So I really was drawn to California because I was interested in how I could like have a life that could both balance access to work, but also have that kind of really good downtime and access to so many amazing landscapes that we can drive to from from LA, whether it's the desert, the ocean, the mountains. It's incredible how in one day you could drive 40 minutes and go skiing and then go back to where you started, drive 40 minutes the other way and go for a beach day. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it never gets old to me. I mean, sometimes it does, but most of the time I'm always, you know, making sure I take advantage of that. Let's go back to nine-year-old Bonnie in uh, amazing London. And you start working. Yeah. <laughs> How does that happen? So I guess, I mean, at nine years old, like many nine-year-olds, I didn't really have like a clear path of what I wanted to do. It probably was changing day by day. So getting into acting wasn't really something that I was like 
you know, specifically driven towards. I mean, you know, I wasn't really in any extra like drama after school clubs. I was just doing what was happening at school. But people heard that they were making the books of Harry Potter into uh, films. And my brother, my older brother, Lewis, had actually read the first two books at that point. I hadn't read them. And he very specifically sort of said, you should go and audition for the role of Ginny Weasley. Like he was quite specific to that knowledge. So I was like, I don't know who that is, but that sounds fun. Like, how do we do that? (laughs) And my parents aren't in the industry at all. And my mom was like, I don't know how you like they're auditioning for these films, but I have no idea how we get an audition kind of thing. So she called the publishers in England, Bloomsbury, and they gave the number to the casting director. And then we ended up like, you know, sending some, they asked for some photos of me and why I wanted to be in the films and what character. And, you know, at the beginning, the role is very, very small. Ginny's role in the first two films, a very small kind of character. So yeah, I ended up going for two auditions, never thinking I would get it, thinking like everyone else is going to be, you know, way more experienced than me. So it was all quite a surprise to find myself actually in these films when it had ended up just being like a fun thing that my brother and I thought would be fun to go and do. <laughs> so yeah, I was totally thrown into the industry, knowing nothing about it, and really fell in love with filmmaking, acting, storytelling during that 10 years on those sets. Like I wouldn't maybe have ever kind of found myself in that world if I hadn't have had that opportunity. Yeah, I wonder. So up until that point, had you ever auditioned for anything? No, nothing. I didn't even know what an audition was. (laughs) Wow. I mean, was that scary? Are you naturally confident? I think I was so young that I think that sort of when you're not that self-conscious yet and you're kind of just doing things for like the novelty factor. I think for me, it was like and my brother were like, let's go and see what this is about in that kind of curiosity way. You know, because I think we just didn't think it was going to happen. Like we had no belief that I was really going to get the part you know what I mean so right so uh, which probably helped my nerves really yeah. if, I, if I kind of was relaxed yeah it sounds sort of like interviewing for a job that you don't really care about getting just for <laughs> yeah, the experience and yeah and then you get yeah. it and then what was the learning curve like yeah I mean I think you know you're going through these like incredibly formative years of your life simultaneously filming and sort of growing up and doing a sort of a job, you know, I think that's kind of quite confusing where you're like still doing your schooling work as we all were. We were still being kids going through puberty and, you know, having fun. And then at the end of the day, we were also required to really show up and give our full attention and energy as it was a kind of professional, high stakes kind of big movie set. So it was a um, very interesting experience. I feel like I'm so grateful that we were all sort of a similar age in it together. You know, I wasn't just like a kid on a predominantly adult film set. Like I was with other people my age, which allowed us to still be kids and be goofy and kind of do things that you should still do. So I'm grateful for that. And yeah, I I just made, you know, lifelong friends and I learned so much about the film industry that then inspired me to kind of step behind the camera. So I feel like the people I got to work with like the other incredible actors and sort of like adult actors as we call them when we were kids and a lot of the creative people behind like the actual filmmaking process well you know it's the best of British cinema at that time you know you're working with the best production designers costume designers camera people etc are all of you still sort of close yeah it's um 
when we're all in the same place, we all try to see each other. Everyone's kind of spread across the world. And it's funny because, yeah, now people are having kids or have had children. And so it's nice to like go through those, you know, big kind of life moments or reflect on them. And I think for all of us, like we were so in that world when we were filming it that it really took finishing the films to sort of like each let the experience digest and like realize how big they kind of were globally and also just the impact they had on people's lives and our lives. When you're kind of in it, you just sort of what you know. But when you finish, you're like, oh, well, that was really unusual. Sort of epic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on because I want to find out the stuff you're doing now on the other side of the camera. But before you get there, I didn't realize quite how recognizable you are to your character. Probably for me because I'm face blind. I have absolutely no facial recognition. Mm -hmm. I was born without it. But even just people that I know that would see you walk by would be like, ah, kind of starstruck. How does that feel? You must not be able to go anyplace and be anonymous. Uh, I feel like I still can have a somewhat kind of okay normal life. I think what's wild about Harry Potter is you keep meeting new generations of people who are into it. So it's not like something that then becomes like, you know, obsolete for only, only a certain age of people. Like I'll, you know, meet eight-year-olds now who are just like obsessed with Harry Potter and it's like their world. So it's kind of this never-ending like fandom. So it doesn't, hasn't like fizzled out or become, you know, but you don't become less recognizable. I feel like it's kept kind of going which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like in certain places, yeah, you can instantly know places you walk into and you're like, I'm going to be probably recognized in this place or room. Mm -hmm. And then other places you can be totally lost must, in the crowd or the atmosphere. Must be a very dark room. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it'll be curious to see what your kids think of it when, uh, when yeah, they become exactly. They'll be fans. So you've moved on. You like the art of storytelling, it sounds like, through film. And you're working on all sorts of things. What projects are meaningful to you that you're working on now? Yeah, I'm in sort of post-production editing a sort of documentary-style TV show that I made earlier this year that basically is an extension of the book I wrote, Go Gently, that came out last year. So it'll probably have a similar title, and it essentially was a road trip where I drove through California and Oregon, meeting different people working in sort of community scale solutions around the climate crisis. So trying to kind of engage their local community and connect with issues that they were being faced with locally when it comes to the climate. So it's very much like a show trying to get on the road and sort of shed light on the people doing the work, basically, and doing the work in a way that is joyful and kind of collaborative and at a scale we can comprehend and really that was what my book was about you know issues like the climate crisis you know either you read sort of news headlines or statistics we're not meeting or these kind of very sweeping statements that can feel absolutely kind of overwhelming but hard to relate to yourself or your day-to-day -day life so my book and this tv show is really trying to sort of bring these issues to a scale that we can kind of comprehend and therefore feel like we have an impact or a kind of power over when we've been very much left to feel disempowered. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think even just the idea of climate change and certainly the terminology climate crisis, you know, it's hard for people to absorb. And I guess it's a little controversial 
there's some people who are 100% sure the climate is in crisis and some people are 100% sure it isn't and everything in between. But it's hard for people who are not on a polar end of that ideology to absorb it and digest it. I mean, if I look out the window, I don't see anything crazy going on right now. So it's hard to feel like you're in a crisis. But I love the idea of bringing the elements down into bite-sized digestible pieces, which is, sounds like you're doing, so that just the average person, the self-thinker, can sort of take it in and learn more and make choices and decisions you know, for themselves that will also impact everyone around them and the future, like our children. Yeah, and I don't think what was so important to me in my book and any way that I communicate any of this stuff is it's not prescriptive. There's no right or wrong way to act in the world. Like there's no right or wrong way to make a sustainable choice. Like sadly, it isn't that black and white and easy. Like it essentially is about being more informed and making consumer choices, habit, life choices that you feel that you know a little bit more about what that means, whether it's like knowing what's behind a product, knowing the kind of repercussions of that, like just being more aware and curious and informed so that when you make choices, you feel like, okay, I've made this choice to the best of my ability, but I don't believe that there's like the perfect way to be or the perfect kind of way to be an environmentalist, because I feel like it holds us back a lot if we think we need to either be like, 100% sort of all guns blazing and, and a, a be an activist every day and second of our life, it holds a lot of people back from doing anything. So it's kind of celebrating that sort of like imperfect in process. So sort of activism. That, I love that. I mean, because know. if it's all or nothing, a lot of people choose nothing, myself probably included. Yeah. And it is quite, you know, intimidating, or it feels like too intense and too much. So I think it's really about like, how can it work for you and your lifestyle? Because everyone has to make choices based on their family, their access to things, where they live, like how much time they have outside of work. You know, the same thing doesn't work for everyone. I don't know if that's where the title came from, but Go Gently, it sounds like that approach. Like yeah. you don't have to like smash you over the head with you must do this and you must do it now. I also like the idea of informed. Obviously, we're informed pregnancy and yeah. it's <laughs> the same thing. No two things are right for everybody, but it's great to be able to get as unbiased sources of information as possible and to process and make decisions and to live with the decisions that you make when did yeah, and uh, i think with the informed of pregnancy like a lot of the things you don't really begin to inform yourself of until you become pregnant i will realize that there is so much more to it or options you know there are so many more pathways when you become pregnant that you realize exist that unless you were kind of birth curious you probably wouldn't know and it kind of is the same when it comes to the climate, once you sort of open the Pandora's box of all the issues, you're like, oh, wow, it's actually so much more like interesting and nuanced in here than just like the climate crisis and like statistics of, you know, temperatures rising. Like it's so much more than that. Yeah. Well said. My audience is birth curious and your audience is earth curious. Yeah. <laughs> Look at us. All right. So speaking of the future, you're pregnant due pretty soon with your first. Let's take a little break and when we come back, we'll find out more about how your pregnancy is going. We'll be right back. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, 
often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the podcast. We're talking to Bonnie Wright. And before we move into your baby, I wonder, like you seem passionate about the earth and treating it nicely. Where did that come from? Yeah, good question. I feel like without realizing it, I guess my parents always very like resourceful, creative people or very like they never like to waste things or, you know, buy too much food that we weren't going to eat or not think to fix something before we buy something new. You know, they're very like creative and resourceful in the way they saw things, which to me is a very environmentally conscious way to be, to sort of not just keep buying something new or sort of like wasting things, kind of worrying about it. So I think that sort of practicality informs the way I see the climate work I do. And then even though, as I said, I grew up in London, very much kind of city sort of childhood, we also spent a lot of time on the south coast of England on a beach there. And I realized as I grew up that actually that coastal sort of environment had a big impact on where I found joy, which was in those kind of ocean seaside landscapes. And I noticed in my teenage years already the kind of issues that were being faced on that coastline. And I sort of loved that beach so much that I began to be like, what's happening and why is this happening? So that kind of sparked these kind of questions to me when I was in my like early teens. Oh, no pun intended, but it was all very organic. Yes. <laughs> all right. Pun slightly intended. <laughs> all right. You're pregnant now. Where did you meet your husband? How did you guys meet? Yeah, Andrew and I met. I ended up going to his New Year's Eve party. I didn't know him or anyone <laughs> at the party, but I went with my friend Georgia. And we had actually planned, Georgia and I, just to go camping and surfing, which we still were doing. But then she was like, oh, my friends are having a party. Should we go there too? I was like, okay, sure. I don't know anyone, but it sounds fun. And it ended up being Andrew's party. And yeah, and then we, we were actually friends for like a good year or so before we began to date. And then that's how we met. And we're all like, I guess the activity that we always used to hang out doing which was what Georgia and I, my friend, loved to do was surfing. I love to surf and as is he. So that was always our kind of like our thing to meet up and do our like activity that would bring us together. Bonding. Yeah. It's interesting. Your life is so far in my mind is like your brother's like, hey, why don't you try out for this thing? And then that's Harry Potter. And then your friend is like, hey, why don't you come to the party? And then you get married <laughs> and start a family. I got to start listening to the people around me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Most of the other things that ended up being failed, other things, I probably was forcing too much. So I f things that felt weird and spontaneous ended up working. Those are the good ones. Yeah. So was children 
in your mind, even before you met Andrew and together with Andrew, was it always a thought for you starting a family? I never was someone who ever said like the sentence, like when I have kids, you know, it was never this like definite thing. It was like, if I have kids, I guess it'd definitely be something that I would love the opportunity to be able to do. But I never assumed, I guess we never assumed that necessarily we're like going to be able to easily. And then secondly, to me, I think it was always like finding the partner I truly wanted to do that with. And I don't think it really all slotted into place to me until the other part of that partnership kind of showed itself and felt like a safe partnership and exciting partnership to have kids. I think I've always been attracted to being a caregiver and and looking after people, animals, you know, the planet, different things. So that like motherly feeling in me is definitely like there. And I'm definitely someone who's like always thinking about other people in the room and are they happy and is everyone kind of, you know, comfortable. So I think that motherly instinct is there. I just never always assumed it would have to be like my own children. So that really only came or solidified, I think, for me when I met Andrew and it felt like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. What about him as a dad? Did he picture himself having kids? He kind of was very similar, actually, to me. Never really assumed 100% that he would become a dad. I mean, he has loads of nieces and nephews, so he's definitely around and has been around lots of kids his whole life. But um, he kind of was the same. Never, like, 100% assumed, but liked the idea of it. But again, kind of all felt right as it became right between us. When did it become on your joint radar? Um, I think I was probably more like I probably thought about it. Or I think my instincts of the relationship were very like clear and it being like early on. I don't know. Unlike other relationships in my past, I feel like I was very quietly, calmly like secure and felt safe. And like there was a real future in our relationship. I mean, I think he did too, but I think I thought more. But I guess it came... I don't really know. I think it was just like one of those things where it's like these tiny little bits of conversations that slowly build to like a reality. I don't know. Like even our choice to get married wasn't like a proposal. It was very much like a slow feeling out and conversations that ended up feeling right, which I kind of like as a way to make decisions. That's kind of like how I even make decisions in my like work life, accumulative like feelings that feel really like right rather than big like statements of deciding yeah was there a moment where it was a cumulative (laughs) green light yeah i guess i mean we got married at the beginning of last year march 2022 and it was kind of something that we thought we'd sort of like think about when we wanted to do it after we got married and then logistically i guess we wanted to have you know fun just being a married couple for a year and that's literally how long we have been a married couple just us for a year and then we're already like a year and a half from our when we got married and I guess it all happened faster than I thought like the journey (laughs) of getting pregnant we're very fortunate that was smooth and, and great so yeah I guess there was a moment of like okay I guess it's now I mean we moved into our new house and home and it felt like okay this is where we want to have kids I think that was also a missing piece like finding the place that we wanted to have children was also really important to us as the a kind nests. of like yeah wait so did you think conceiving would take a long time yeah I guess you just never know you just really don't know and 
I guess that had always been something to me, even in, like I was saying, like wanting to be a mother generally, that was always something that I'd never assumed to be a straightforward path because I feel based on life and other people that, you know, struggle with fertility, you kind of think that could be you too. I think as we know, there are so many factors that go into our ability to conceive. And I know and believe that I feel like it sadly has become harder for women with so many different things out in the stuff that we consume and eat and the emotions we feel like there's just so many things. So I was fortunate that it was okay. It was quick for you. Yeah, I think I was doing a lot of work to my health in years before that, before I even began the kind of like conceiving journey. I think as many women like experience different hormonal imbalances in their life, you know, I had two in different, you know, years of my 20s. And I feel like I really committed years before to shifting what I was putting in my body to be much cleaner and, you know, being very aware of the things I was eating and kind of things like meditation or yoga and and really trying to look at a more holistic way that I looked at my health. And I think in a way that was like work that really helped me to make the conceiving journey easy. Like I think I was already on that path long before I realized. Interesting. So were you surprised when Uh, you found out you were pregnant? Yeah, I was surprised because basically I took a test and it was negative and then I like two days later I took a test and it was positive so I had a bit of a like oh an extra 180 experience (laughs) where I was like okay well that's fine like you know another month here we go Hmm. and then I was like oh wait no it was wrong so yeah you're at the very end of your third trimester but how have the uh, different trimesters been for you uh they've been yeah you can see why they're into three because they feel very different (laughs) you know I was very lucky in the first trimester that my main kind of symptom was just really being really, really tired. Like I didn't feel physically too nauseous and sick like that. If I did, it kind of fade easily by just having a snack or something. Like I felt like I could manage that. And then just as I was filming the TV show that I mentioned earlier, I like just hit my second trimester when we filmed that show. So I remember like 10 days before we started filming, I finally started to not feel so tired all the time. And I was like so grateful because I was so worried that on the shoot, I would just be like half asleep. So it kind of worked out perfectly. And then the second trimester was as described where you're suddenly, oh my God, I feel great. Like got this energy back. I'm beginning to actually feel and look pregnant. You know, you're getting that buzz of the kind of pregnancy. And then the third trimester, you just get bigger and bigger and things just get harder. And And then Uh, you're like, okay, wind back down. So yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, a fun roller coaster to be on and yeah at this point I'm just so yeah it's uncomfortable I'm just like dreaming of the day I can lie on my back asleep in bed and do those normal things yeah or your belly yeah have there been surprises along the way or things that you I don't know just learned from going through the experience that you didn't know I think so much I mean even just in the course of the nine months, how my, as we were saying, like you become more informed and you become more curious as it's happening to you. And I've just learned so much that I just had no idea about, you know, the process of pregnancy, birth, so many different things. It's been a really interesting kind of thing that you just didn't really have any sort of, I didn't have any need to know before it happened to me. And I think how unique it is for each person, you know, even if you're pregnant at the same time, with a friend, like you could literally be having totally different 
experiences. So even as you become more informed, you almost have to kind of like push everything aside you've learned and just kind of experience it as it's happening. Because you can get too hung up, I think, sometimes like, well, I read this and it said that I shouldn't be feeling this by now and I am feeling this. And you definitely like end up Googling some interesting things when you're pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, I think even slightly more interesting is even the same person for two pregnancies. Yeah, Um, for sure. They could be quite different experiences. So, all right. So now we're in the third trimester and towards the end, you must have made some thoughts and plans and visions, intentions for what the birth is going to be like. Have those plans changed during the pregnancy or did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted before you conceived? No, I I didn't really have any idea of how I wanted my birth to look. I think because I didn't really know that there were different ways to give birth or different environments to give birth in or different people to have supporting you during that birth. So really my inquiry into what it would look like began sort of after we got pregnant. I guess especially because, you know, having kids was an if for you Mm -hmm. up until you pretty much decided to do it. So it's not like you Yeah, I didn't have this big plan, you know. Maternal Um, dreams since you were 10 years old about what everything would be like. I kind of think that was the same when I think about like our wedding. Like I didn't have some big plan I've been dreaming of since I was a young girl. I was like, oh yeah, what does a wedding look like? I don't know. Oh, well now, so close to the end, you must have thought it through and have some intentions about it. Let's take a quick break and we come back. We'll find out what you have in mind. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back. We're talking to Bonnie Wright, very pregnant, sort of crampy. (laughs) (laughs) Very crampy, very pregnant. Very crampy. All right. So now, uh, you know, you've only had eight months really to sort of do the process of getting information and thinking through a plan for birth. So what kind of resources have you used? What kind of sources of information have you found helpful? And what have you pieced together in terms of birth intentions? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely grateful that there's just so much out there. It's definitely something that once you start looking, you realize there's this amazing network of people that are either birth educators, practitioners, kind of looking outside of the system in modern or old ways, you know. So I feel like I've learned a lot, for instance, listening to your podcasts, watching documentaries, sort of joining sort of educational sort of online pregnancy, prenatal groups, leaning into amazing accounts that exist on Instagram that people provide a lot of information. 
kind of moving my body in ways that kind of are made to support pregnant people. So there's just so much out there and so much of it also can be totally accessibly free as well, which is so cool. So it's been amazing to navigate all of that and and just get excited. I think you get so inspired by people's stories and they all look so different that you're like, oh, wow, I can truly make it work for me. And we think it's prescriptive and it's sort of a medical event and it needs to happen this way. And we're told what we can and can't do. And we're told how to birth rather than leaning into sort of instinctual nature of knowing what feels right for us. So it's been really cool to realize that there's just this whole world out there of people making, you know, just broadening the way birth is looked at, which is not necessarily new. It's like that lovely mix of like looking backwards to what we did in the past and looking forwards as to how we can like implement that yeah. uh, into our modern lives. So yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot from all those great resources that exist and then made my choices or we made our choices through that. Well, I like the idea of looking back to see ahead. A lot of the things that are coming up as like new age alternative yeah. are just how it was always done. And then we kind of modernize the whole thing, which has a lot of benefit to it, but mm -hmm. also some downsides. And now reemerging is the idea that you could sort of do things any way you want to. There's so many different options. And not everybody has to have the same experience, the same type of provider, the same setting. So yeah, where did you land on those things? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, hearing other people's stories is what empowers you to feel confident in your own, even if they chose something totally different, just that they felt confident and safe in the choices they made, make you feel like, oh, I can feel confident and safe in the choices I make. Because I think mainly making your birth intentions and plan is just like knowing where you're going to feel most supported and safe and open. Yeah. Um. So for us, in the end, that has looked like choosing to had the baby at home, working with midwives. And I've really enjoyed working with midwives in terms of like all these eight months, nine months. Like I really loved the attention to detail in that care and just the more holistic sort of relationship and approach that I have with my two midwives. I actually already knew my midwives before I became pregnant. So my friends, Tiffany and Taylor, they have a practice together. They're identical twin sisters. That's um, the coolest. Together, yeah their practice is called DOS midwifery and I knew them before and so when I was we were exploring the idea of like home birth option was like I was like oh I, I know two midwives so let's call them up and talk to them about how this looks call the uh, midwives yeah call the midwives <laughs> great show and you know in England midwives practice in NHS hospitals very differently than they do here so when I speak to friends of mine and they're talking about their checkups and different things in England they meet with midwives, you know, in the hospital. So that was also an interesting exploration, just how different this hospital system is here. There's many similarities, but it is slightly different. So felt really great about working with Tiffany and Taylor. And then I feel like what's really helped me during the whole choosing different things and the whole process, if I've always been very like, if I change my mind, that's okay you know, not just changing my mind because in the end we have to transfer for a certain reason to hospital. But even if I just suddenly wake up one day and I'm like, actually, I've changed my mind. You know, even at 38, 39 weeks, like I've always been quite like, okay with that happening. I haven't been like, I have to have it this way, which has definitely helped. So yeah, we have our midwives. And then about like halfway through the pregnancy, 
I met with Patty Quintero, who's a doula here in LA, and felt just like instantly, immediately, like so calm in hearing her voice and her presence. And uh, just really felt like she was a perfect piece to the team and just her experience and just her knowledge and her just like calming energy made me feel great. So she's our doula and we really loved working with her. And I feel like what's been great about even understanding what a doula is and what they do, I think what I've most enjoyed is seeing how helpful having a doula brings my husband Andrew into the whole story. I feel like it really helps them to kind of become more educated and feel like that they're a needed piece to the puzzle and they have like a job to do. And I feel like that's very helped in that doula relationship. Because a lot of times I hear partners say, you know, I don't want to have a doula because I want to be your doula. And I'm like, ugh, it's just a very different role. And for me in our first birth, I didn't have any experience with childbirth at all. Mm -hmm. And we hired a doula and she was amazing at giving me the confidence, you know, to just relax and just be there and support my wife in Mm -hmm. all the different ways I could. And even with suggestions on maybe this would be helpful. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea, you know. But at the end of the day, by the time we had our third and fourth kid, I was a doula and my wife was a doula and we still hired a doula. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think, I think I had a few contractions during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see you Friday. Yeah. If you're still. Yeah. We'll very good. Yeah. I think the whole weekend made me suddenly, because my due date is until the 20th of September, which is like, what, two weeks away. But it was the yeah. whole weekend and my daily physical feelings that I'm just like, I'm confused now. Is it tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah. It's such a weird time. Even if you weren't feeling all that, just to wake up and say it could be today, it could be a month. It's just very strange. Yeah. All right. Well, either way, either I'll see you Friday or you'll already have had a great birth. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll have the stories to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. And at home, thanks for listening to Informed Pregnancy Podcast. For more pregnancy and parenting information, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay.
Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. <laughs>